William, Hen, and I have been friends for years, but recently God has really sewn our hearts together. Oh, he makes my heart feel like somebody put tiger bomb on it or something. <laughs> when he begins to worship the Lord and talk about the revelation of Christ from the scriptures, oh Lord, it's just like, wait till you hear. So William, thanks so much for coming on. And it's my great honor. So excited to be with you. And uh, Risen Nation Church over there. Where are you guys at in Dallas? Yeah, we're in Louisville, Louisville, Texas. Yeah, Louisville. That's amazing. I went to the church and the presence of the Lord, the richness of worship was literally like few places I've ever been. Yeah. You've, done, you've done really Thanks, well man. stewarding the presence Praise of the Lord. Praise God. So I want to talk to you for a minute. And the text that I really felt to start this time off with is John chapter four, verse 23. You know it very well. The hour is coming, Jesus says, <laughs> and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such yeah. people to worship him. Just talk to me for a minute about worship. I know you're a man of worship. Yes. It's something very close to your heart. So just unload on us. Yeah, well, this is probably the, the most exciting subject for me uh, to talk about. So I'm so excited that you decided to talk about worship. But, you know, one time I heard I heard my cousin Michael say that prayer is not generated, it's joined. And I think the same goes for worship, uh, that worship is not something we generate, uh, but something we join. There's constant worship in the place of eternal and uh, and so we're not creating an atmosphere when we worship, we're joining one. And I think that a true worshiper is somebody that before we're ever ministering to people or leading people into worship, we are following him and coming into a place where uh, we are the, the Zadok priesthood of Ezekiel 44 that goes into his chamber and ministers to his heart. So um, I believe the Lord is raising up in this hour. What does it mean? to be a true worshiper. And I think the Lord is in a way drawing the line in the sand in the midst of the church and in the midst of uh, the chaos of the world of who's going to minister to him and who's going to remain about people. And so I believe those that worship him in spirit and in truth are those that know him because the first part of that in John four, it says for you do not know what you worship, but we know. And so, um, yeah, I would say the Lord's raising up discerning worshipers that know how to tend to the heart of the Lord. And I think the mark of that is humility. Yeah. So you would link together a humble heart. And a hundred percent. Yeah. I actually, hold on. I, I was reading this earlier. So it's interesting. You said this, but it says this in Psalms one verse six, though the Lord is on high, he attends to those who are lowly, but he is, far afar from the proud and i think that the mark of worship you know you think about matthew 21 uh, you know verse 16 when it talks about you know out of the mouth of nursing infants and babes he has perfected praise so there's something about the lord rising up raising up this humble generation uh, that the sound of our worship will be marked by dependency hmm. And uh, the discerning heart that would say, you know, probably the number one thing that has marked Resonation Church and, and I think even marked our relationship and has drew us into this uh, 
I don't, I don't even know how to explain, but we can sit there and talk for, <laughs> for hours and just go back and forth. But I think the mark of our relationship is um, we're both drawn by this aspect of, of dependency and humility before the Lord, you know, but it's a discerning heart that knows what he likes. And when we know what he likes, he comes. And so in first Chronicles 13, you know, David is trying to bring the glory of God into his city. And it says they worshiped with all their might, but because they didn't heed God's voice, but David sought the people's opinion and he didn't do it according to the pattern that God wanted. You know, Uzzah touches the ark when it stumbles and it kills him. And there's many things in that chapter 13 of first Chronicles that, you know, David did wrong that he then changes in chapter 15, but you get to chapter 15. And I think it's so interesting because one of the significant changes of chapter 15 is it goes from. They worshiped with all their might to they found skillful worshipers. And that word skillful in chapter 15 in Hebrew, it means they found discerning worshipers. Wow. The, uh, the ESV actually says they found people who understood it. <laughs> and so that that's always uh, really set a foundation for me in the way in which I approach the Lord when I begin to worship. Um, and that worship is not about leading people somewhere. I think that that's where we get confused, but it's about going into his chamber and touching his heart. And in that we make a way for people to follow, but it's, bro, I mean, it's like rain, you know, uh, I, sorry, it's just, this is going to be everywhere, but this is, this is my most favorite thing because if we could learn this as a church, um, we would learn the secret to his power. We would learn the secret to the anointing, you know, and, and worship is not to produce the anointing. I think like we've been taught, um, the wor worship is not onto something it's onto Come someone, on. you know? And so when it's onto someone, the anointing just follows the presence and the power just follows, but the motivation of a worshiper's heart is Lord, what do you want? And what do you like? Hmm. Um, but you know, in revelation eight, it says, you know, it's, it's describing the throne and it talks about that heaven went silent for half an hour. It's one of my favorite portions of revelation. Heaven went, heaven goes silent for half an hour. And, and I'm paraphrasing read, you know, you know, verse one to probably verse 12 on your own time, but basically talks about that an angel of the Lord comes and he gathers up the incense, the prayers of the saints. If you look up that word prayers in, in Greek, it means worship. So an angel comes and he gathers up the incense or the worship of the saints presents it before the throne of God. The father receives it. The angel then takes fire from his altar and pours it back to the earth. And so worship being like this beautiful picture of rain, the condensation that comes up from the earth and the rain that comes down from heaven. Uh, but that is the deep unto deep. That is the, the exchange. But I can tell you, um, where I've gone wrong in my life because of what I grew up in. And I, and I'm so thankful of what I grew up in, but you know, you can, you can be around the presence of Jesus and around the anointing become so familiar with it that you become numb to it because you never had the fear of the Lord to begin with. Wow. And that was my testimony. I became numb to the presence of the Lord because I was in it so much without the fear of the Lord while I was in it. Hmm. And uh, you know, but you can fabricate, the anointing. I mean, you can sing the right song at the right time, the one that he always will move in because he likes it and it's exalting. It's vertical. It's not horizontal. And, uh, 
but you can sing the right song at the right time and, and work on the emotions of people and get God to move. Um, but man, as I grew in the Lord and I read Romans eight twenty nine, which is the verse that changed my life. Those wow. he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to him, not to do something for him. Um, but rather just become like him by conforming myself to him, which means super imposition, you know, <laughs> um, which I love. You consider, you consider the Lord who made us in his image and in his likeness. It's like God came and took clay, smashed it against his own face and said, Oh my gosh, they look just like me, man. If we would realize <laughs> how beloved uh, we are before him, we probably wouldn't struggle so much, but, um, <laughs> but when that hit my heart and I realized I could do all of the ministry stuff and I can put on and I could work it and I could, you know, we, I grew up with the suits and the ties and, yeah. and all that stuff, man, you can dress all you want, but that doesn't define you as a worshiper. Wow. If you move a crowd that doesn't define you as a worshiper, do you move his heart? Wow. And, uh, and so that, that's really the mark that, that I want to be in man, it's, it really is out of Ezekiel 44, which is something that we've talked about, but it really describes two different types of priesthoods. And man, I, even it's interesting. You said, we're going to talk about worship because for probably the past two days, I can't get this idea of the Lord is raising up a Zadok priesthood and Zadok were young and Zadok, even to David, he was a young worshiper that came beside David to help David, you know, restore his kingdom. And so in Ezekiel 44, the Lord is correcting, and he talks about two different types of priesthoods, and he says one priesthood, just read that chapter in your own time, but one priesthood, it says they'll stand on the outer court, and they'll minister to the people, and the reason that, they're, that all they'll ever be is gatekeepers is it says because you stayed with them in their abominations and their iniquities, you will be a minister to them, wow. and I'll, I mean, I think, man, we can grow something big, think God's in it because people are adding to it, but, um, and I'm not against something big, but there is an outer court ministry that's for people. But then it says, but because the sons of Zadok, right, because they tended to me into my sanctuary, I'm going to let them into my chamber to minister to my heart. And I'm, man, what a privilege if, if I never stand before people, but I move God every day with how I exalt him. Um, what better life to live than to live that in an empty room with only God. <laughs> the you empty know? chair vision was pretty powerful. Will you mind sharing that? Yeah. Yeah. I am um, probably, it's been a couple weeks now, but I was, um, I was in my actual closet on my face with the Lord and I went into a vision and in the vision, I saw a stadium full of people and I saw a wall in the middle And then on the other side, I saw an empty room with a red chair and a lamp that looked just like this one back here. And it was right next to the chair. And I heard the Lord say, where do you think I am? And so I said, Lord, surely you're in the empty room. Not that the Lord doesn't go into stadiums, but he starts in the secret place, according Uh to Matthew six. So he said, where do you think I am? I said, well, you're in the empty room, of course. And I heard him say, so why don't you come join me? And I see myself, I'm still in the vision, but I see myself in third person, walk up and sit down on the chair. Um, And as I sit down, I have three kids, uh, young, between four and literally uh, four months now. And I saw my own children multiplied at my feet. And I heard the Lord say, what I want to do is generational. 
and I came out of it. So the next day I went back to the same closet as I do. And, um, my daughter, Ellie, our middle one, she had like a meltdown. She could not gather herself because she couldn't find me and she wanted to see me she had just woke up. And so, um, I had just got on my face and I was listening to that song, the blessing, uh, by Carrie Job, and which is just a great song. So Ellie comes in with Emily and Emily, my wife goes, babe, I don't know what to do with Ellie. She's, she's losing it. She just wants to be with you. I said, okay, she can lay in here with me. So I'm on my face. I'm listening to the blessing with my daughter next to me and I'm weeping. And my daughter's my little two-year-old daughter just sitting there like this going, they call me Bubba. They're saying, Bubba, are you okay? Or she's saying, Bubba, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, you don't understand. Just getting wrecked by God. So the next thing I know, my son, William comes in wondering what's going on. And then Emily comes in with Benjamin and I'm thinking, I just was trying to, you know, spend time alone in this, in this closet. And uh, I had just had that vision the day before. And I hear the Lord say, you see, when you pick the empty room, your family will follow you in. And that, that, oh, that is the, the testimony of my life. You know, I think about my uncle Benny, you know, if he didn't pick the empty room, you know, the empty room produced the stadiums, but if he didn't pick the empty room, I wouldn't even be saved, you know, and I would, and I've heard the stories, you know, my dad shared a room with him. He said for eight hours a day, he would be locked up in there. I tried to come in the room and I couldn't get in because the door's locked and I would hear him crying. And from the other side saying, Willie, just five more minutes. My dad wasn't a Christian. And he said, when I would walk into the room, when he would finally unlock the door, I felt something tangible in that room. And wow. so the whole family in a way followed him into that empty room. And, uh, and it's what, it's what made him pregnant to then birth what he has all over the world. But, you know, as a, as a young, you know, as a millennial, I encourage millennials that, you know, the mark of intimacy is you become pregnant. And oftentimes what we do, and this was my life, but oftentimes what we do when we, you know, cause we can fast or we're blue in the face and we can spend 20 hours a day with God and do all of the right spiritual things. And those things will produce. Um, But I, you know, true intimacy actually makes you pregnant. Um, But sometimes I think what we do as pastors and worshipers, whether we're on a stage leading worship or we're in a church leading worship, you know, in a small church or a stadium, you know, what we can oftentimes do is the Lord will birth something, we'll become pregnant with that thing, and God will bless us with something. that we found in an empty room, but we will come become consumed with the blessing and forget about the intimacy that brought it like a, like a marriage, you know, you have kids and you have three kids like I have and life gets busy and it's easy to forget about the intimacy between a husband and wife that actually gave us those kids, but we're just consumed by the kids, you know? And so, um, you know, as long as I stay in that empty room, I'll just, will never stop being pregnant. (laughs) So, um, Beautiful, man. the empty room, man. I, uh, remember Andrew Murray wrote, we're never more humble than when we adore him. Yeah. Which connects the two things you've been talking about humility and worship. And also Dane Ortland once wrote that God is concerned. He wants us. There's a, there's a, a revelation of Christ's person and then a revelation of Christ's work, but there's also a revelation of Christ's heart. Mm. And that's what I hear you're saying. You're connecting humility, worship, and the presence of Christ, meaning his heart, his person, the reality of, of him. So look into the camera, and there's all kinds of people watching this right now, 
And I'd love it if you, if you could just look at him and talk to him. Yeah. They're, they're sitting right there. Say something to him. Yeah. Well, I want to actually start with this scripture. It says this in Psalms 51 verse 16. It says, for you do not despise sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a humble heart. <laughs> These, oh God, you do not despise. I would say you cannot, it's impossible. You cannot touch God's heart without you being low. And something I've learned from you, Eric, and I would say to everybody watching is that, um, especially if you're in a position of leading worship, I, I really feel this from the Lord, um, or in a position of, of being any sort of worshiper, because it's not just dependent on if we sing and we play instruments and do these things, but our whole life has the opportunity to be a fragrance to God. But I would tell you, unless you come to the place of lowly, unless you come to the place of humble, of contrite, of Lord, without you, I can do nothing. You'll never actually find true worship until we come to this place of whom have I in heaven, but you that Psalm 73, that Psalms 27, you know, three and four of though the armies encamp around me in this, I'm confident. Like I don't have strength in this, but I have strength in this one thing that I have one thing I seek that I have one thing that I desire that I may dwell and that I may behold, but you can't see him unless your eyes are off yourself and you can't dwell with him unless you have died to yourself. And so I, I know that I've found in my life what I could have accomplished in my own strength. And what I realized when I found out that this whole life is simply about realizing that Jesus is not a means to a destination. He's, he's the origin of our worship. He's it's about him and he's the end. I mean, he is the origin and he is the means. And I would tell you that it's way more simple than we could ever imagine. And it's saying, Lord, I don't need anything from you. And I don't want to do anything for you. I think one thing that tried to rob me in my life was when I believed this lie that God needed me to accomplish something and realizing that nothing good actually comes from me. So I can simply lay down my life, pick up a cross encounter him and then give that fragrance that came from him back to him. And, um, you know, I, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width, the length, the height, the depth to know the love of God yeah. that surpasses knowledge. That word knowledge in Greek means science. All God wants from us is us to go into that empty room, have an encounter with him beyond what science can explain and give that fragrance back to him. And uh, I think sometimes we get caught up in all kinds of spiritual disciplines that might last for a season, but at the end of the day, God is looking for the wounded heart that says, I have nothing unless I have you. You know, Matthew 9, the Lord is teaches us this principle. The disciples of John come to the disciples of Jesus and they say, you know, us and the Pharisees, we fast, but you know, your disciples, they don't fast. In other words, we're more radical than you. Like, man, we we worship for, for 20 hours, man. You sit in your room in silence. Like worship is not about a song. It's not about making noise, man. Worship is about a silent heart that is turning into a fragrance 
and a condensation up into the Lord. And so, man, we're more radical than you. We fast more than you. We pray more than you. We do all these things more than you. And uh, I think we've defined worship wrong. But the response of the Lord is so beautiful. He says, you, you, you do all these things, but the bridegroom, the, why would they mourn when the bridegroom is with them? Yeah. But then he says, but they will fast. And then he says, you can't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin or the wineskins would break open in Matthew 9. And so what is he saying? He's saying, listen, you do all these spiritual disciplines to attempt to get the attention of God, but you, you already have my attention. I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the paradigm of how you pursue me and think about this idea of the Lord that he would, God would come down, wrap himself in flesh, Ezekiel 22, 30. I sought a man that would stand in the gap and I found no one. This is worship. And I found no one. So think about this. God became a man and threw himself into that gap. And in Matthew nine, he's walking with his disciples, teaching them how to pursue him. They don't even realize it. I imagine in that moment, they're thinking, yeah, get him, God, get John's disciples and, and the Pharisees tell him the truth. But I don't think they realized that for the next three and a half years, he was going to use proximity and nearness to wound them to the heart so that when he did ascend to the father, now these men are not, are not fasting because it gets God's attention. They're fasting because they've been cut by love. Wow. And I think any worship that doesn't come from a ripped heart, any worship that does, doesn't come from this wounded, broken heart, like, like this David's cry of Lord, I want to build a home for you, but consider the pressure that David experienced before the presence that David experienced, but the pressures that David walked through the pressures that David experienced would produce this cry in this man's heart that would say, arise, O Lord, to your rest. I'm not going to put my head to sleep. I'm not going to close my eyes at, you know, on the pillow of my bed until I find a place for the Lord. There's a cry raising up in a generation that's saying, listen, in our brokenness, like David being anointed with oil, not realizing that he was going to spend years in a cave, probably fighting rejection. You know, I, I love the book of the tale of three Kings. It says that when David was anointed, he might've thought he was entering into the school of royalty, but really he was entering into the school of brokenness. And this man sat in a cave with 200 men that were beaten up with life, filled with dead, all kinds of stuff. And they heard this man worship in his brokenness, mm. in his humility, this man that was being humbled before God. So that one day when he does take the palace and the royalty, his prayers never changed his desires to bring the glory of God in second Samuel seven. He said, I can't bear the fact that I'm dwelling in a house of cedar while he's dwelling in a tent. And it causes this explosive response from God of David, you want to build me a house? Actually, David, I'm going to build you a house. And I always, you know, I always thought the Lord was like, okay, David, second Samuel seven, you're going to build me a house. Yeah. Right. But really the father's heart to say, you want to do that for me. There's something about a humble heart that moves the heart of God to say, I'm going to actually do way more for you than you could ever do for me. But that deep unto deep and that beautiful, loving exchange from a man that has been broken and humbled before God, that meets the strength of God in our weakness, his strength is perfected. Man, that's worship is coming to the Lord just as you are and saying, I have nothing 
to offer you. And there is nothing good that's ever come from me. But God, here I am. If you can take this heart like Catherine Coleman, man, she'd say, I feel the Lord. She would say, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. You see, that was First Chronicles 13. They worship with all their might. They probably sounded amazing. But just because you sound amazing doesn't mean that God's there. And we can do all the lights and all the show. That's why, I mean, as, as hard as COVID in this season has been, and, you know, I've had family members of my church lose families. And as sensitive as I want to be to that, man, the Lord gave us an invitation in this season to come back to a table of fellowship. But what COVID did, man, is it shut down the production, it shut down the lights, it turned off the smoke. And now the Lord's interested to see if the glory cloud actually comes in when we worship, you know. Um, but man, the Lord's bringing us back to simple, back to original passion again in a season where we can't do much. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe, uh, maybe you had a loved one that passed. There's, there is a potency to a worshiper that has dealt with pressure. And when great pressure meets great presence, it's going to produce in a generation, a Maranatha come Lord Jesus come that is going to usher in the coming of the bridegroom, just like it was for a broken man named David, who wasn't okay just with the move of God, but wanted a habitation of God in his city. And so if I can, I mean, I've been all over the place, but if I could tie it all together, man, I would say, I would say this to everybody out there, keep your heart low before God and watch God move in power. And, and the humble in heart will move the Lord when you simply come to him and say, Lord, if, if I have no skill, if I have no talent, like Catherine Coleman said, but all I have is this heart and this heart yearns for you. It longs for you and it'll be fully yours. This world can offer me nothing. Whom have I in heaven and on earth beside you? Now that's a man who's gone through some stuff and realized the only strength, the only confidence I have the only persuasion I have is that I have one thing I seek and one thing I desire that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord. Man, there's no more <laughs> blissful life than gazing at the beauty of the Lord and touching his heart every day. I really believe if you never step on a stage, if you never build a church, you never build a 501c3 but you can touch God's heart. I believe just like revelation eight, when heaven went silent to hear, what are they going to say? Man, I, I, I think that the Lord waits in empty rooms to say, oh, I can't wait till they move me today. You know, so the Lord's changing the paradigm. I believe in this hour of how we pursue him. And I don't think our spiritual disciplines are going to get us through. I really believe the Lord is inviting a generation into a Shulamite revelation that gets clothed with the beauty of God. Cause what we stare at like Psalms 34, they beheld him and became radiant that what you stare at, you think, man, I caught the eyes of the Lord and I'm never looking away again. That's the Ezekiel 44 priesthood. That's the skillful worship of first Corinthians 15. That's the cry of a man in David in King David, that would find this secret to the compounding anointing in the old Testament, they would take the bitter and the sweet and it was compounded together. Myrrh and cinnamon, perfect measurements compounded together and it produced the anointing. And I think what we've done is, is we've made worship about producing the anointing rather than about Jesus, not realizing that the true anointing is him. So, um, I would just say it's not complicated. Get back to simplicity. Well, bro, there's so much meat 
in all that you said. That was so many rabbit trails, bro. But you tell me to talk about worship. I don't <laughs> just, I don't know what else to do, man. No, just, you nailed it's my it. life. So those of you listening, if you don't go low, you'll never enter worship. That yeah. seems to be the essence of everything you've been encouraging us to is to go low to his feet and there we'll be able to worship bro thanks so much for coming on i love you with all my heart i, can't I love wait to you see man. you in april and and the lord will be with us thank you bro god bless you man bless you.